host, Carly Bodrug, journalist turned food blogger and the girl behind the popular plant-based brand, Playing You. Welcome back to the Plant Pod, everybody. I am so sorry. It's been like a few months and I have to be honest, I did not plan to take like a hiatus from the podcast, but um, if you've been following me on Instagram or TikTok or Facebook or are on my email list, you would know that I just announced the launch of my cookbook, Plant You 140 Ridiculously Easy, Amazingly Delicious Plant-Based Oil-Free Recipes. This was like a project that I poured my heart and soul into and had to keep it a secret for the last two years. And a lot more went into the preparation of the pre-order announcement than I originally anticipated. And just to be honest, the podcast had to take a back seat because it was kind of all-consuming. I just have to say thank you to this amazing community because the way everybody showed up and pre-ordered the book and just made such a splash with the announcement literally astounded me and I I'm just so so grateful so the cookbook comes out on January 18th 2022 I am beyond excited to see it in your hands if you haven't pre-ordered yet and you're thinking about buying it um, I've also sweetened the deal for anybody who pre-orders you will get a 101 easy recipe snack ebook which you can claim on the website plantyoucookbook.com it has all the purchase links there as well I'll leave the purchase link in the description of course pre-orders have such an impact for new authors they impact your media appearances they all count towards bestsellers lists they count on Amazon rankings so it really does have such an immense impact on the success of the book so I thank you again for anybody who pre-orders shares the book whichever else cannot wait for it to be in your hands I'm so so excited we have a super special guest today I am going to be interviewing my blogging best friend forever Danielle Brown of Healthy Girl Kitchen. So Danielle is this amazing health coach, recipe creator, food blogger who does healthy vegan recipes. Check her out on Instagram and TikTok. We are talking all about being a content creator. So if you've ever wondered what it looks like, the life of a content creator, how to grow a social media platform, lots of tips and tricks, stay tuned. Or if you're just curious about Danielle's story, it's so interesting because we actually taped this back in either April or March. And at the time, Danielle had about 400,000 followers on TikTok and about 80,000 on Instagram. And now that this is being published now in September, she has over 1.1 million followers on TikTok and over 200,000 on Instagram, which is just incredible in like a few short months. So definitely listen closely because she shares some amazing tips in this podcast. Before we dig in, I just want to remind you, if you enjoy listening to The Plant Pod, your reviews literally mean the world to me as well. If you enjoy listening, make sure to take a screenshot and share it in your Instagram stories, taking me at Plant You and Danielle at Healthy Girl Kitchen so that we can share the love. Without further ado, I'm so excited to welcome my friend, Danielle Brown to the plant pod. Carly, thank you for having me. I don't know if you like are going to fill everyone in on this, but we are literally foodie food blogger, best friends. We, we pretty much talk like every day. Wouldn't you say? We talk every day and I'm so thankful for like connecting with you over the past year because our friendship has just meant so much to me. And it's funny when you look at I mean, I don't have any friends in real life who are like food bloggers. So when you connect with someone online, it's crazy how, I don't know, deep of a connection you can form, even though you haven't met someone. So I'm super grateful that uh, that we were able to connect and um, form this friendship and also like just have somebody to talk about the, the pain points of the food blogging world. No, totally. And I don't have any other friends in real life either. I mean, this is real life. Social media is real life. But, you know, my friends from home, people I grew up with, I have no one who can relate to me on that level. So we're always like taking notes. And, you know, you're kind of my sounding board if I ever have a problem. So I too have been so thankful that I can just like text you call you whenever I have a question because it's not easy being a food blogger. And from the outside, I think it can look very 
glamorous and you know from the outside looking in you might think wow that looks like such a great life you work from home and all you do is smile look pretty make some recipes and post them where where there's so much that goes into it as you know that's a really good segue into my first question here which is i remember you as code green wellness so I'm interested to how you got your start into the food blogging world and if you ever anticipated that you would be here now with this amazing large platform. I feel like have you hit 400,000 on TikTok, almost 100,000 on Instagram, this really successful blog? Yes. So, okay, I'm going to rewind back a little bit to my freshman year of college where it all kind of started. I was eating unhealthy in the dining halls. I was so excited that I didn't have my parents telling me what to do. I was just so excited that college was basically a free-for-all and especially when it came to the food. And I went to Michigan State University. They're known for their dining halls and basically Michigan State's dining halls are like a food court. They have unlimited pasta bar, pizza bar, all-you-can-eat desserts, froyo machines on every corner. It's insane. And I was just so excited about it. So I, for breakfast, would get omelet bar. For lunch, pasta bar. I'd have a froyo cone after lunch. For dinner, I would have, like, another Alfredo pasta and, like, a homemade pizza. And then I'd have more froyo. And it was just day after day starting to do this. I started to feel sick. And while it was fun, doing that for a couple months on end will really get to you. So I just started to feel sick after every meal. And I would come home from dinner and just lay on my bed with the absolute worst stomach ache. And I also realized I was gaining the infamous freshman 15. And I just didn't want to go down that unhealthy path. And I really wanted to start getting healthy for myself. I didn't really know what that meant at the time. So I just started with the obvious thing. I told myself, okay, I'm going to eliminate all obvious dessert because again, I was eating two frozen yogurt ice cream cones a day and that just seemed like the most obvious to me. So I cut out sugar and I started feeling better, lost a couple pounds. And then I was like, okay, what can I do next? So I eliminated all meat that I was eating because the meat that they were giving you in these dining halls was pretty much mystery meat. Like you had no idea where this meat was coming from. Probably not the best quality. So at the time I said, okay, no more meat. Then I cut out eggs, fish. And then I kind of stumbled across the documentary Forks Over Knives, which if any of your audience hasn't seen is great for the health benefits of a plant-based diet. Very informative. I watched that and that just kind of opened my eyes to the connection between diet and health and the benefits of a plant-based diet. I was like, wait, what? These people are reversing heart disease and reversing type 2 diabetes because they're eating, you know, kale and strawberries and oatmeal for breakfast. That just blew my mind. So I really wanted to try being plant-based, but I was a little hesitant because keep in mind, I'm in a dorm room. I had a mini fridge and a microwave and that was it. I didn't have access to a kitchen. I didn't have a car to go grocery shopping. I was basically very limited on resources. And at the same time, I was just a girl who wanted to get healthier. So I took it upon myself to slowly start eating a plant-based diet. Keep in mind, I had been cutting out all of the animal products slowly. So it was a gradual transition. But the last thing I was eating, I remember that was not plant-based was these chocolate-covered pomegranate seeds. I was obsessed with them. They had dairy in them, and I would eat them by the handful every single night. I'm like, okay, this is the last thing that's not plant-based. I'm just going to eliminate those, and I'm going to try this. And I just started to make it work. I was microwaving sweet potatoes in my dorm room. I was microwaving like quinoa and brown rice packets. I would take my own plastic Tupperware containers to the dining hall and I would fill them up with the fruit. You weren't supposed to do that, but I secretly did it. Um, I would take, they had um, baskets in the dining hall of free, like bananas, apples, oranges. I would take them, fill my backpack up with them, and then I would take them back to my room and make fruit bowls in my, 
in my dorm room. So I just really started to learn all these tips and tricks for how to be healthy with very limited resources and not only be healthy, but eat a plant-based diet with very limited resources. And before I knew it, I lost about 20 pounds. I also used to suffer from chronic chest pain and that had gone away. That's something that I had gone to see countless doctors. No one could help me with that. They never, no doctor ever thought to tell me, hey, you might want to look into what you're eating and change that. It turns out that the inflammation from eating animal products was causing chronic chest pain, which I had dealt with for years. And just within a few months of eating plant-based, that was gone. It's never come back. I had more energy. I My skin was clear and I just felt amazing. So at the time, I thought I was going to be a child psychologist because I really loved kids. I still do. But that kind of shifted my focus to health. And I decided that I wanted to become a health coach or a nutritionist or dietitian. Like I didn't really know at the time, but I just knew I wanted to get into health. So I graduated college and then I ended up going to nutrition school through the Institute for Integrative Nutrition, became certified as a holistic health coach. And I just really wanted to help other people get healthy the way that I did. And I slowly started to get some clients, which was exciting. I just wanted to show people that they could eat vegan plant-based in a way that was yummy, healthy. You didn't feel deprived. You felt satisfied after eating. But keep in mind, I was health coaching. I Food blogging wasn't even on my radar at the time. But what I did start to notice is that my clients wanted recipes and they wanted meal ideas. They'd say, hey, Danielle, I really have no clue what to make for breakfast. What should I make? And I was getting this multiple times a day. So I'm like, you know what? I'm sick of typing out recipes to people. I'm just going to make a website and I'm going to start posting recipes so that I can send all of my clients to my website. So I started posting recipes on there simply for them. And then at the same time, I started posting on Instagram and started posting recipes there purely for my clients. But before I knew it, I was getting thousands of people to my website every month. I started getting a social media following and... Now, you know, a couple years later, I am food blogging full time. So we can, you know, dive into all those other details, but that's basically long story short. So when you graduated college and you wanted to be like a child psychologist, I mean, did you just jump? Well, you didn't want to be a child psychologist. You decided you wanted to do something in health after finding the plant-based space. Did you then just jump right into working as a health coach after your training? Or did you have another job? How did you balance that? Okay, so I grew up in Michigan. I went to college in Michigan. I was long distance with my fiance Ari for five years. And then we decided to move to Florida together. We now live in Boca. So we decided to move here together. I knew no one here, no had no friends, and obviously I had just graduated. It was literally two weeks after I graduated. I said, Mom, Dad, I'm out of here. Sorry to leave you. I'm moving to Florida, <laughs> which, you know, they weren't so happy about. But they, you know, they love me and support me. But my mom was very sad that I was moving away from her. Um so when we moved here, I had started nutrition school, but I had no source of income. So I started nannying, babysitting. I found a, a nanny job and was probably making like $17 an hour, $20 an hour, um, which is pretty good for babysitting, but not a lot, you know, uh, to sustain yourself. So I started babysitting. And I think that's just people see the end result and they see me now and, you know, they don't think of how I got here like guys I was grinding I was nannying little kids and I trust me as a college graduate I did not want to be doing that um, even though I love kids and so I did that for a number of months and then once I graduated nutrition school I had started get, getting clients and that's when I created my business Code Green Wellness which was my health coaching business and, you know, now it's Healthy Girl Kitchen. But at the time, I branded my whole business thinking that I was just going to be a health coach. I had no clue I was going to be a food blogger. I had no clue food bloggers 
could make an income. I just thought they made recipes and posted them to the internet for fun. So to answer your question, no, I, I was literally babysitting and, and did that right out of school. So your Code Green Wellness and your health coaching, how did that transition into Healthy Girl Kitchen? So I had a number of clients and all of whom were doing well. They were experiencing all these amazing benefits of a plant-based diet, but health coaching for me, to be very transparent, it started to get very emotionally taxing because as you know, people who deal with food issues and the relationship with food, they're way more deep-rooted issues than are presented at the surface. So whether someone, you know, is in an abusive relationship and, you know, that transfers to their relationship with food, whether they have a bad relationship with their parents, whether they're stressed at work, whether they hate the school they're going to, hate their job, whatever it is, those deeper rooted issues then translate to having issues with your relationship with food. So I ended up, I felt like people's therapist when I wasn't qualified for that. And, you know, I gave all the advice I could help my clients as much as I could, but I'm an, I'm an empath. So I take on other people's feelings very easily. And I was going to sleep at the end of the day, feeling like I was holding on to all of my clients problems and issues and everything that they were pouring on to me. I was going to bed with that. And it was just very heavy for me. So as much as I loved helping other people get healthy, that part of the job was really a lot. And I say to anyone who is, you know, health coaching, looking into that, I know it's very popular right now to not go down the dietitian path, not go down the doctor path, but to become a health coach. Let me just tell you, it's a lot of work and it's very emotionally taxing. So, you know, if you're passionate about it, that's great, but it is a lot emotionally. So I started getting more offers from brands who wanted to sponsor me. My blog was making a lot through advertisements, which we can talk about. And I just noticed that I was making good money from food blogging, which again, had no clue that that was even a possibility. And I realized that my true passion was food blogging. And I realized that I could be a health coach still, but without all of the emotionally taxing problems that, you know, came along with having clients and growing my social media and my blog, I was, you know, quote unquote, health coaching thousands of people at the same time, simply by providing them with plant-based recipes. So last year, 2020, I think it was around April, May time, I switched my name to Healthy Girl Kitchen because that really felt like me. It felt like that was really what my business should be rebranded to now that I was food blogging full time. But it was about January of last year where I decided I wasn't going to take on any more clients and I was going to pursue food blogging full time, which was also scary because as a food blogger and being your own boss, you have no clue where your income is coming from the next month, which is why, you know, I love having longer term partnerships with brands, but you have no idea if you have, you know, a one-off post with a brand that could be great money that month. And then the next month you could make no money. So I, I was very hesitant to pursue food blogging full time just because of the unknown of the job. So I often get asked, how do you get started? Like, how do you make money food blogging? What does that look like? And I mean, what I always tell people is to start on Google, because that's how I educated myself on how to monetize my following and make an income. What did that journey look like for you since you started in health coaching and then kind of segued into making money as a food blogger? So first for me was partnering with an ad agency like Mediavine. I partnered with them first. Basically, if you're scrolling through someone's recipe blog and you see a ton of advertisements throughout paragraphs, that just means that they're partnered with an ad agency. That's how that uh, blogger makes money is 
through the advertisements that are on their blog. And obviously, the more people that visit the blog, the more money that they make through the advertisements. So because my blog was gaining a lot of traction, I started there. I had enough page views to qualify to partner with Mediavine. So I partnered with them. I had their advertisements on my blog. And I just remember before that, I just used Google AdSense. I think that's what it is, right? Google AdSense. And I made like $100. I'm like, oh my God, this is insane. $100 for posting recipes. This is wild. I'm like, Ari, we are going out to dinner tonight. We're eating good. I'm taking this out. This is unreal. And that was just, I remember that so vividly because that was crazy to me that just from me posting a recipe, I generated $100. And so, you know, then, of course, Google AdSense, you don't have as good RPM. And for people who don't know what that means, that's just, um, you know, the rate of money you get per a certain amount of people that come to your website. So once I started with Mediavine, I was making a lot more money for the amount of people that were visiting my blog. And I was blown away. And that was really the first way I made an income as a food blogger is getting a decent chunk of money, a decent chunk of my income from simply people reading and visiting my recipe blog. And I did that through Facebook groups, which I think is a huge secret. Not, not that I'm keeping it a secret, but that people have no idea how valuable Facebook can be in sharing your blog. And I don't mean in like a spammy way. I mean, really like, finding Facebook groups that relate to your niche and providing these people with value because there are people that spam Facebook groups all day. But what I did was I found every vegan, plant-based, vegetarian, vegan, and gluten-free group that I could find, anything that related to my recipe niche. And I just started posting my recipes in the group. And, you know, of course, all my recipes are free. I wasn't selling anything but I was just offering these people value. And I think everyone was so excited about the recipes because they weren't boring. They were trendy, fun, easy to make, but like were vegan versions of people's favorites, which is what you do a lot too. So I noticed that Facebook gave me an audience that my blog didn't have yet. So it takes a long time for your blog, if you just start a blog, you're not going to be on the first page of Google when someone looks up vegan mac and cheese recipe. That takes a long time for your blog to gain that domain authority and for you to rank in SEO. So me posting in Facebook groups gave me an audience of thousands that my blog didn't have yet. So I was posting in probably over 20 groups a day. And doing that, I could get up to 10, 15,000 visits to my blog per recipe from posting one time because I was posting in so many Facebook groups. So I think that's just my little tip um, that has worked really well for me. But that kind of gave me a leg up when I didn't have an audience yet. I think this is a really good educational opportunity for our listeners as well, because people often ask why there's so much text and stories that go along with recipes. And the truth is that we don't want to write all of this life story before the recipes or even (laughs) drag out the content, but Google will actually rank your content higher based on the amount you use the keywords, the length of your blog posts, Etc. So that's why when you go on someone's blog and there's a whole bunch of text before you get to the recipe, it's um, actually so that Google will rank them higher as well as it helps support the recipe blog because you're being more served more ads throughout their text. I always get so bothered when people complain about that without knowing the backstory because it's not like we're wanting to write so much content for each recipe it's it's very frustrating but you kind of you learn as you go as you're writing recipes that what google likes and what google doesn't and it all becomes a game which is why you posting in the facebook groups is so genius because that's a completely ulterior audience that isn't on google and then you get domain authority because so many people are visiting your blog and hence now 
your blog is so successful. So it's really genius. And then from there, your Instagram account, how were you able to build that? So I don't think creators use all of the platforms that are available to them enough. I think, you know, most creators pick one platform, they post on there, they they just worry about growing a following in one place. Where my goal was to build a following in as many places as I could, because God forbid, if one day, I mean, this threat recently happened with TikTok, we were so worried that TikTok was going to be banned. Think of all those creators that, let's say they had all their eggs in one basket, they had a ton of followers on TikTok, but didn't have a following anywhere else, they would have lost their one platform that they had. So I knew from the very start that having a social platform on multiple channels and multiple mediums was the way to go. So when I was posting on Facebook, I would say, and also make sure to follow me on Instagram. So in the caption, I would write my Instagram handle. And then that would send people not only to my blog. So this is what would happen. People would visit the recipe that I linked. So that's a check mark on the blog. Then people would come to my Facebook page because I posted from my health, my healthy girl kitchen Facebook page. So they would follow and like my Facebook page. Then in the caption, it would also say, follow me on Instagram. So it would send them over to my Instagram and they'd follow me there. And then obviously once TikTok started, I would do the same thing, follow me on TikTok. So I made sure that I was always sending people to all my platforms. And honestly, Facebook also really helped to grow my Instagram because I was taking those thousands of people from the groups and sending them over to my Instagram page. Because at the time, even the Instagram algorithm wasn't pushing out posts enough to get a ton of organic reach for you to just be getting thousands of followers at one time. I think also I would message some bigger pages, vegan repost pages with a lot of followers. And I'd say, hey, feel free to use my content to repost because I don't know if it works as well now, but back, you know, a couple of years ago, if a big page reposted your picture, you know, I would get a couple thousand followers. And I remember, you know, Forks Over Knives would post my recipes. And if Forks Over Knives posted a recipe, I would get like over a thousand followers, which was a lot at the time. So it also just it took a lot of patience. I think people go into starting their food blog just with the mindset of their first question is, okay, how do I get a lot of followers, which was not my mindset at all. My mindset was, what value can I provide? And you know, I'm just putting out what I'm passionate about and I'm putting out what I love and like the followers will come. That can't be your first question. So I would say really the trick was to initially building up those platforms is just providing value day in, day out, rinse and repeat over and over and over again. I always tell people you need to provide enough free value up front consistently to make someone press that follow button because when you look at Instagram pages and people don't know what they're going to get day in and day out consistently say you have a food post here and then a post of your new baby there's not a reason for someone who's a stranger to you to press that follow button unless they know that they're getting value tomorrow and value the next day so you're so right in that it's like rinse and repeat day in, day out, and some stuff hooks and some stuff doesn't. I, like, we've talked about this, but like the most random stuff that maybe took you less than an hour to create will sometimes go viral and then you'll work on a recipe for days, test it multiple times, and it gets birds chirping. Like, have you experienced totally. that through your oh, journey? Of you know it always goes like that, which is why you can't put too much of your brain power into thinking about how you're going to get followers and what's going to perform and what posts are going to do well, just put out what you're passionate about. And I promise you'll attract the audience that you're meant to attract because if you're so worried about the followers, you're not worried about your content then. You're wrapped up in something that's unrelated to what you need to be doing. Like Just focus on your content. It's going to be a grind. It's going to be a hustle. You're going to have to work hard and you're going to have to be patient. And I, I feel like people want a shorter way to get there. They want some kind of loophole, shortcut, something like that so that they can, you know, 
gain 10,000 followers overnight or something crazy like that. But it really, especially on Instagram, takes a lot of work and consistency and just putting out that value. But along with what you were saying before, or what I was saying before about being on multiple social channels, let's say that you have a, a food blogger. Let's say you're a food blogger that's on Instagram and you have a blog. And recently, you know, you've seen the explosion of TikTok, people talking about TikTok, spending hours on TikTok, and maybe you have been seeing other food bloggers on there, but you're a little bit nervous or hesitant to put yourself out there in a new way because you've been used to Instagram, you've been used to your blog, but now there's this other platform out there and this can relate to anything, but I'm just going to talk about TikTok for right now. Everyone starts somewhere. I didn't know how to use TikTok and now in less than a year have almost 400,000 followers. When I made my first TikTok, I'm, I had no idea what I was doing. I spent two hours learning how to use the app. It took, it didn't take me very long. And then I just started posting. And I mean, you can scroll back. I would say, go to my TikTok at Healthy Girl Kitchen, watch my recent videos and then scroll all the way down. <laughs> I'm going to out myself here, scroll all the way down and watch my first videos. They suck. They're awful. They're bad quality. They're definitely not, uh, you know, they don't provide. I mean, I was trying to provide value, but if you look at the difference between the two, it's, it's a world of a difference, but everyone starts somewhere. So I would just say my biggest advice is if there's a new social platform where you see is gaining massive amounts of attention, just go and start posting on there to grow your brand because it's worth it. And it's just another way to monetize your content. It's all about getting uncomfortable, I find, because at the end of the day, you have to really not care what other people think. I remember when I started um, playing at you, I hid it from my coworkers. Like I blocked them <laughs> on social media. You were embarrassed. I was so embarrassed. And then I would listen to like Gary Vaynerchuk podcasts on the way to work. And he'd be like, don't care what other people think. No one gives a shit what, what, what someone else is doing and he's so right like think about the amount of time you actually spend thinking about what someone else is doing and apply that to yourself like nobody cares other than your like best friends and family nobody cares what you're doing and I mean if creating a video is something that someone is going to make fun of you about they're the one that should be looking at taking stock of their life not you so I think that's great advice to look at those platforms and get out of your comfort zone to practice other mediums because it, clearly it's paid off for you. Yes, definitely. And I would say focus on if you're a new food blogger or maybe you are already a food blogger, but you're not seeing the traction that you want to get, post what's getting attention. So right now, Instagram is pushing reels and TikToks are getting insane organic reach and you posting what you're comfortable with isn't going to make you grow. So if you're on Instagram and you know reels are doing way better than pictures and have the ability to make you go viral and in turn get you more followers and grow your brand, then you need to just get on it because staying within your comfort zone there isn't going to grow your brand. If I was just posting pictures you know, I would get some likes, but it doesn't have the same virality potential as posting reels right now. So don't stay within your comfort zone just because you're scared of making a reel or putting yourself out there in that way. Do you ever get discouraged? Because I know for me, I see on TikTok people sometimes go completely viral overnight, like Tabitha Brown is an example and has like 2 million followers overnight. Like seeing that, do you ever get discouraged? I do get discouraged sometimes when I look at people, especially within my niche. So it's so hard not to compare yourself to people who are doing a similar thing to you. So I'm never comparing myself to someone like Addison Ray or Charlie D'Amelio. You know, I'm comparing myself to other food bloggers and food creators. And if there's someone who posts content that obviously didn't take a lot of time didn't take a lot of effort and I mean you can tell and then I'm like wow I just spent five hours making a recipe that literally got no views and no likes and no one cared about it 
that can be discouraging. But honestly, there are people, I have to remind myself that there are people looking at my account and people looking at me being envious of me. And it's going to have, we talk about this all the time, no matter how many followers you have, you could always have more. You're always wanting the next thing. When you're at 9,000 followers, you want 10,000 followers. When you're at 10,000, you're aiming for 20,000. When you're at, I mean, right now on Instagram, I have, I don't know, 80 some thousand. I'm like, oh, okay. I, I, you know, I'm, I'm really making my goal a hundred thousand on TikTok. I'm at 400. I'm like, okay, like I just need to get to half a million. So I really have learned to be content with the amount of followers that I have in the moment and right now, because no matter how big or small your audience is, there's an amount of people that care about what you're posting. And there was someone the other day who, I don't know, they posted on Facebook and or something and, and they were like, I only have 300 followers on Instagram. What do I do? How do I grow? You know, I really want to have a bigger audience. And I, I told her, I'm like, wow, like you have 300 followers. Imagine 300, fo- 300 people in a room. That's crazy. Imagine you're in an auditorium with 300 people filling seats and you're talking to them. Imagine when you're posting that Instagram story, imagine the 300 people in the room. That's a crazy amount of people to be broadcasting your life to. So I would just say no matter how many people are following your platforms, like just learn to be content with what it is because even the biggest influencers and bloggers, they're still reaching for more. Do you remember, I don't know if you were following this, but when Charlie D'Amelio had like uh, 99, what'd she have? She was trying to get 100 million. million. She had 99 million and she's like racing to get 100 million. You're like 99 million people. Oh my God, that's wild. You can't even fathom that amount of people. And she was still trying to get 100 million. So no matter where you are, you're always striving for more. And while it's so important to have goals for yourself and to always be pushing yourself to do better, learning to just appreciate and be content with the audience that you have in the moment while at the same time providing value, that's what's really kept me going. And knowing that you are unique and different in your own way where you're in your own lane. It doesn't, your only competition is yourself. So let's take a Tabitha Brown. She's very like motherly and caring and she posts these like inspirational videos. Like I don't do that. I have a different vibe. So people will follow Tabitha for a different reason than they follow me. She's not my competition. She's her own brand and her own self. And I have my own brand. You have your thing. And the important thing is, is that you are posting something unique to you and that you are staying in your own lane because at the end of the day, really your only competition is you. It's funny because a lot of this is even out of your complete control. Like, we do see people on TikTok. I mean, when you're talking about people like randomly going viral, one person that comes to mind is that uh, keto girl who eats the sandwiches every day. And I think it's part of like, like a sound thing, you know, how people are attracted to sounds, but she eats these like pepper keto sandwiches every day. She has like 2 million followers. Her views are out of this world. She obviously has this kind of connection with her followers in the way she talks. But in some respect, it's just you could be creating the best content in the world and still not hit it the same way she does. Because one day the algorithm pushed one of her videos out and she gained this crazy connection. So in that sense, you kind of have to throw your hands up and just keep creating day in and day out and not be at the mercy of the numbers, which is so much harder than, than it sounds. But I get discouraged. I mean, (laughs) it's, it's honestly, you know that the only way you lose is if you give up. Like even if so you post, true. right? Like even if you posted content and it didn't do that well, you still won because you put something out there that day and you tried. Yeah. Do you find that as a society we have kind of I don't know, lost it in a sense that we have put this focus on quantity over quality like I know for myself I put this like pressure on myself to put a video out every single day whereas before a couple years ago it was put a photo out every single day which was much more realistic but now with TikTok it's like 
I need to put a video out every day and it has to be filmed on my camera. Like, do you find in a sense that we've maybe gone a bit too far? Yes, because here's the thing. You're fighting for attention every single day. You're fighting for attention within the feed, right? Like you, there, there's only a certain amount of places on a for you page on an Instagram feed that are going to do well. Instagram their algorithm, TikTok's algorithm, they're going to post the best one. So if you post more, you have a better chance of a video going viral. So I think that's where my pressure comes from. It's like, okay, Danielle, your content's not going to go viral if there's no content. So I always just, you know, there is that pressure to be consistent where yes, it's so important to be consistent if you're trying to grow your brand. But I think it's way more important in the beginning. So now that you have your platform, I have a platform. If I posted four videos a week instead of seven videos, it's going to be okay. And the world's not going to end. And as you said, it's much harder to make a video over a picture. You know, picture, one, two, three, snap it. You know, you styled, you made the food and styled it, but you just snap the picture and you edit it and move on. Taking a video is very different and it's a lot more challenging and there's a lot more time and resources and effort that goes into it because as you know it could take hours to make a recipe you need to film it but maybe during it you're also taking blog pictures and maybe during it you're making uh, Instagram stories showing people what you're doing so you're you know it prolongs the process because you're in the middle of trying to get content for all of these social media platforms and then you have to edit everything which could take hours and then you have to post it or maybe you have to get approval from brands and it's a much lengthier process. So yeah, I would say if you're a creator who's kind of battling with that and, you know, maybe you're having a hard time posting a ton of content because videos are a lot harder, just give yourself some grace and just know that like every other content creator is, you know, dealing with the same thing. Any content creator putting out valuable video content is 100% feeling the same way and feeling the pressure of making videos all the time. But I would just say, do the absolute best you can, because that's all you can do, and forget the rest. It also goes back to the importance of building your own platform, as in a blog that you own. Because these social channels are so unpredictable, I mean, we saw what happened with Vine. It disappeared. So in your eyes, you're talking about taking process shots for your blog as you're taking a video. I mean, how important is that to you to also then build a blog post for each recipe that you're posting a video for? I don't do a blog post for each video that I make because sometimes the video I know wouldn't translate to doing well in a blog. So the first thing I ask myself is, do I think this would perform well on the blog? Or maybe... I'll Google what I'm making to see if, you know, people have been researching that lately. Um, Maybe I'll see if that recipe has been created before. I remember this is going back a little ways, but I wanted to make a chickpea ice cream recipe and I Googled it and there was only one other chickpea ice cream at the time. I'm like, whoa, I know this is going to be popular. I want to be one of the first ones. So I know that that was a good choice for me to make a blog out of the chickpea ice cream because it was going to be one of the first. Um, it doesn't mean that if there's already, you know, a ton of one recipe that you shouldn't post. Definitely not. But I would just ask yourself, knowing your blog and knowing what does well, is this going to do well on the blog? So I would say probably like one out of every five videos and putting on the blog. When you go to monetize, so there's a couple of different ways that I know I monetize and I know you monetize. What have you seen the most success with? Is it ads on your site, brand partnerships, a meal plan, or is it all three combo? At first, it was advertisements. So when I mentioned before, I was partnering, I partnered with Mediavine to have those advertisements. That was definitely my number one source of income because at the time, I didn't have as big of an Instagram following and TikTok didn't exist yet, which is my biggest following right now. So I wasn't getting a ton of money from sponsorships just because brands weren't reaching out to me as much because my audience was smaller. So I was really just seeing the max amount of income come from my blog. But 
as my Instagram grew and definitely now that TikTok is so big and my TikTok audience has grown so much, my number one source of income right now is through brand partnerships. And so that's number one. And then ads on my website is second. And I now partner with Ad Thrive, which I think you also partner with Ad Thrive. Um, either it doesn't matter really like what ad network you partner with. There's a bunch of great ones out there, but those are the two main ways I make money. And then, you know, you have smaller things like affiliate money that comes in, or maybe there's, you know, some random cooking class that you do and you make money from that. But really my, my main source is brand sponsorships. And what does that look like for you? Are you reaching out to these brands? Are they reaching out to you? And then how does the negotiation go? So in the beginning, it was me reaching out to every single brand. And I just want to say that because when I first started out, I I felt a little, I don't know if embarrassed is the right word, but I was like, oh, like why do all these other bloggers have so many sponsors? And it, I, I was finding it was so difficult to get the company to answer me. So like if I was sending out emails to these companies, DMs on Instagram, I was finding it really hard to get an answer from them and not just an answer, but for them to agree to pay me. I was finding that whole process to be very long. It took a lot of convincing. It took a lot of back and forth. And I was just taught that if I would have just sat around and not reached out or advocated for myself, I would have had no partnerships. So, um, you know, I definitely don't start off cocky and think like your page is all that because these brands are reaching out or these brands are being reached out to by hundreds, if not thousands of bloggers wanting to promote their products or these brands are on websites um, like something like an Aspire IQ, which is like an influencer marketing platform where they're getting reached out to by influencers. So and then they're also reaching out to influencers or bloggers with massive followings. So don't feel like, uh, one, don't get cocky. You're going to have to do some of the work and, and reach out to these brands yourself. But two, like, don't be disappointed if you feel like brands aren't reaching out to you. Or if, you know, brands might be reaching out to you, but they want you to post for free or they just want to do like, uh, you know, post in exchange for food or, you know, post in exchange for products. So in the beginning, I was reaching out to, hundreds of companies. And what I would do is I'd go to the grocery store. I would take pictures or write down all of the brands that I either used all the time and was obsessed with or brands that I knew brands that I found that I would love to work with just based on, you know, if they were vegan or if I loved the ingredients and then I would go home and find their emails or DM them on Instagram or do both. I made up like a little media kit, which is basically just like a resume that shows your stats and your followers and just a little bit about you. I think everyone should have a media kit if you want to work with brands. And I would just send that to them. And I definitely, in the beginning, I was posting in exchange for product because one, I didn't know any better. I didn't have any food blogger friends. And I also wanted to form relationships with these brands. And some of the brands that I you know, originally was posting for free for, I now have a paid partnership with. So do I think that you should post for free? Absolutely not. Your your work is super valuable. That was just, you know, my story and how it went. But there is something to be said about, you know, being willing to sample a product, being willing to post something on your story to give a brand a shout out. But but yeah, I had to I had to put in the dirty work. And, um, you know, I was getting paid little to no money. I mean, it was laughable. I was <laughs> I was not making a lot. But, um, you know, it started slow and, and now as I just have seen an upward increase of the more followers I have, when I have a post go viral, that's when I notice brands reaching out to me and noticing me more. So I promise just be patient. If you're finding brands aren't reaching out to you, that's okay. Reach out to them. And I promise as you grow, you'll find that more brands will reach out to you. And for those listening who are completely unfamiliar with this kind of process, what's happened over the last maybe five to 10 years is brands have recognized that rather than, say, paying for a commercial to be produced, 
that they can get recognition for their products by paying bloggers and influencers to make content with their products. So for example, I recently did a collaboration with a pancake company called Flourish. So using their product within a recipe creates brand recognition and then drives sales. And it really is valuable. I feel like there's a perception that it's not a lot of work for the influencer and they're getting paid a heck of a lot of money. But the truth is um, when you are integrating a product into a branded post, you have to test the recipe, you have to take video content for that recipe, you have to negotiate with the brand. Once you've taken the video content, you send it to them with a caption, they'll have changes, you might have to refilm, and then it will be scheduled to post, and then you have to show them your analytics. So it really is like for one video, it can turn into one to two weeks of work easily. Um, and they're getting in front of a really targeted audience. So both Danielle and I have vegan audiences. So a brand who has a vegan product would see a lot of value in getting in front of hundreds of thousands of people right in their target audience, which is why these campaigns are paid and why a lot of influencers or content creators should not work for free because it's super valuable for a brand to be getting in front of a really targeted audience and why when you talk about I was the same way when I started out I couldn't believe that a brand would want to give me a product like I was like free stuff but reality is um, that your labor is it's not worth a five dollar almond milk for a an entire video and the equipment I mean I don't know about you but I spent thousands and thousands of dollars on thousands. camera equipment laptop, memory cards, all sorts of stuff over the years that it's so not worth it to accept uh, products for free. And so if you have any advice, like how can someone get started in creating a media kit and setting rates for what they're going to charge brands if they're interested in doing these brand partnerships? I would say go to canva.com. That's what I did. And literally, it's free and you can type in media kit template and they have so many media kit templates you pick the one you like you just fill in the information you press download and boom you have a media kit it's that easy it gets a little more tricky if, if you don't know necessarily what to put in your media kit I think this is very individualized I've heard different advice from different people so at the end of the day I just I kind of take everyone's media kit advice with a grain of salt because you have to do what works for you. And you can also do trial and error. If you make a media kit that brands aren't really responding to, maybe you should change up your media kit a little. But what I like to put in mine is I'm actually going to pull it up right now so I can tell you exactly what's in it. But I've heard to only make your media kit one page. Sorry, I can't fit all the information I need to tell brands in one page. Let me count here. I have one, two, three, four, five media kit pages but it's very aesthetically pleasing. It's easily laid out. You don't want to overwhelm these brands. You want them to look at your media kit and it's very self-explanatory. So I would say definitely start with, or it have a little blurb about you, just like a couple sentences about your mission, what you stand for, the kind of audience that you have. And do you want me to read mine? Maybe that'll help. Yeah, I would love to hear it. Okay. We'll uh we'll give everyone what they want. <laughs> I'm ha I'm happy to be transparent. Okay, so I say, um, and I talk about myself in the third person. So I say Danielle Keith is a vegan food blogger, recipe developer, and certified health coach. She specializes in creating simple, trendy, delicious, plant-based, gluten-free, and oil-free recipes. She grew her blog to 150,000 page views per month in only a year, and her social media platforms are growing at a rapid rate. So whatever, just short, doesn't have to be anything crazy. And then I have all of my stats and the numbers for uh, my followers. So I have like my TikTok followers, Instagram followers, Facebook followers, and how many views I get to my blog per month so that they can just easily see all those numbers because that's what brands are curious about. Like they want to know how many followers you have. Um, but more importantly than that, they want to know your engagement rate. So I would include your engagement rate on 
uh, on your media kit for sure. And if you don't know your engagement rate, just go to Google and type in engagement rate calculator. There are so many of them and it'll depend. Like some of them will take the average likes and comments of like your last 10 posts. Some will take your last 20 posts. So just be aware of, you know, how many posts you're taking the average of, but literally you can use a calculator online and engagement rate, which I think you would definitely agree with. It's more important than your follower count because you could have a million followers and get 500 likes on your picture, which you could have then someone who has 10,000 followers and get 2000 likes on their picture or video. So it really matters how many likes and how many comments you're getting and how many shares you're getting way more than the, the amount of people that are following you. So I would definitely use that as encouragement instead of something to, you know, deter you because maybe you do have under 10,000 followers on Instagram and, and you feel like you need a ton in order to get brands to sponsor you. Like if you have great engagement, then that's great. Like you're going to be able to get paid a lot sooner. And then I have demographics on there, which I'm sure you have on your media kit as well. Um, or if not, you send them to brands because brands want to know who's looking at your social media pages. So if, if a brand has a product, like let's say an organic tampon company wants to sponsor me, they're going to want to target women. So if I tell them mostly men follow me, that's not going to be the best for their product. But if I tell them, oh, 90% of my followers on all my platforms are women, then they're going to say, oh, great. Like our product will do really well then, I'm sure, being advertised to all of your followers. So definitely have demographics. And just a couple more things I have, like Instagram uh, insights and demographics, TikTok individual demographics, my blog demographics. Um, and then I just say the services I offer. And some brands I've worked with in the past, I just find that that provides some credibility. Obviously, I didn't always say that because there were no brands that I worked with at one point. So, so yeah, that's that's my media kit. But again, go to Canva if you can make a free one. I feel like you're giving really practical advice, which I'm sure people will be really thankful for. And as your platform grows, do you find you get some negative comments? And if so, how do you deal with them? Harley, I can't. <laughs> the negative comments are nonstop. And ever since, I mean, you experience this, the same thing. It's just the more people that follow you, the bigger your brand grows, the more eyes that you're in front of, you're going to get more criticism. And it's just something that comes a part of the job. And I've had to accept that. So you know, I've, I've learned to realize that, okay, if I post a video, no matter how great the recipe is, how non, um, you know, what's the word? Like it could just be the most simple recipe that shouldn't warrant any kind of negative feedback, but it's going to, because the internet is brutal and there are these keyboard warriors out there that will hate on anything, no matter what it is. I could post a vegan chocolate cake and there could be people tearing me apart, you know, saying the meanest things in the world. So also just another side note, if a video goes viral, you're just, you're going to get mean comments no matter what, because if you're, if you're reaching, let's say a million people from one video, most likely there are some assholes among that 1 million, right? So I've just had to one not care at all what other people think. You can't care. If you're a content creator, no matter what it takes, you have to just put that out the window. You can't care. And you can't care what your friends or your family thinks, but you can't care what a stranger thinks. They don't know you at your core. They don't know who you are. So why should you let their negative comments affect you? And they're not, you know, they're not talking about you as a person. They're how could they? They they don't know you. So don't value what any of those strangers say because again, they just they don't know who you are. But at the same time, it's hard not to sometimes let them affect you or maybe, you know, you do start to internalize them because people saying mean things about you or mean things about the content you're creating that you put so much hard work into 
and you're seeing negative comment after negative comment after negative comment. And I've had some videos where 50% of the comments are negative just because people decided to hate on it for no reason, but they'll come up with a reason. And I have just learned that those hate comments push my video into the algorithm more, which gives me more followers, which makes brands pay me more. So in the end, I win and they don't. And it doesn't <laughs> matter. Seriously, I, these people who are commenting these negative comments are losers in their mom's basement or they're people who would never say these kinds of things to your face. Or sadly, these are people who have deep rooted insecurities and they make themselves feel better by commenting negative things on other people's posts. Just it might be out of envy, out of spite, jealousy. Maybe they want to be an influencer and they're just they're jealous. Maybe they want to be a food blogger, but don't know how. And so they're, you know, projecting their their negative feelings onto me and whatever someone's dealing with. Um, you know, you just have to sit there and be like, wow, like imagine somewhat how sad someone's life is to take time out of their day to comment something negative, demeaning, belittling on my video. Like how sad is their life? Like I'm not, I have never in my life wasted a minute commenting something mean on someone's video. I don't have time for that. Absolutely not. And I'm sure you haven't either. So why, like your life is so short and you only have so much time in the day. Why take even a second to leave a mean comment on someone's video and to leave something negative somewhere because that takes away from your energy that takes your day that could have been positive and you just caused someone else to be hurt so in in the end I have just really learned not to care and it takes practice but you you know what you're gonna come out on top if, if if your video is viral enough to people for people to be commenting hate comments, you won and they didn't. Do you respond to them? So I have, so it depends on the comment. Sometimes it's really hard for me to bite my tongue. And 99% of the time, it is absolutely not worth it. Because just as they took energy from their day to comment something negative, I don't want to then take energy from my day and fuel the fire because oftentimes this ends in like (laughs) an argument between two people and you're arguing with someone who you don't want to argue with in the first place. If this is someone who took the time to comment something negative, most likely they're just in the mood to argue and you're not really going to make, you know, this isn't going to be a productive conversation. So if I do respond, it's, um, always with kindness. I never respond to something rude back. I think that's one of the biggest things I've had to learn is as much as you want to reply to someone with something as mean as they said, it's not, it's not going to get you anywhere. It's not, it's not going to make you feel better either. So I always respond with kindness. Um, or I'll just respond by, you know, telling them, I hope that, you know, you don't spend the rest of your day commenting mean things on other people's posts or you know I hope you choose to do something more productive with the rest of your day and while that's you know a little bit sassy I think it gets people to think because I've had people then write back to me and be like oh I'm sorry or you know they read it and they don't respond because they were caught off guard by that response it's tough but you're so right like there's no there's no point of putting your energy into something so negative and then putting your own mind into a negative space for absolutely no reason if the if the comment was rude and not productive in any way. I want to be mindful of everyone's time. So one way I would like to end is hearing your number one tip. If you had one tip for someone who has no platform right now and really wants to be a full-time content creator, what is it? I would say just identify the thing that you're passionate about and that you feel like you could just talk if there's a subject that you could talk about to someone for hours or if there's something like maybe you're obsessed with makeup maybe you love gardening maybe you you're a tea lover you're obsessed with all things tea 
whatever it is, it could be something as big as and broad as recipes or something as small as, again, I said, a tea lover. It doesn't matter. Just identify that one thing that you're passionate about and just start posting content about it and start providing value relating to that content and only worry about putting out value. Don't worry about anything else. And the best thing about social media is that it's free. So it's free to make an Instagram account. It's free to make a TikTok account. It's free to make a Facebook account. You can get a free, uh, you know, blog or you can find a domain for like a dollar a year. You like there's a way to start off doing it for no money and you don't need any fancy equipment to start off. Literally just take your phone, whatever phone you have and start posting. And I promise you, as I said before, you'll attract the audience that you're meant to attract. I love it. Thank you so much, Danielle. This has been an absolute pleasure as always. And uh, I'm sure I'll have you on again in the future to talk about your journey and more tips and tricks for up and coming content creators. Yes. And if anyone wants more fun plant-based recipes, go ahead, follow me at Healthy Girl Kitchen on Instagram. I'm also at Healthy Girl Kitchen on TikTok. And then I also have all of my full free recipes at healthygirlkitchen.com. So, and feel free, like send me a DM. I love connecting with people in my audience. So feel free to send me a DM and introduce yourself. Tell me that you came from this podcast. And yeah, thank you so much for having me. This was fun. Oh my goodness, I missed the podcast. Wasn't Danielle just amazing? Of course, I'll put all of her social links in the description of the podcast so that you can follow her on all those social channels. Of course, if you enjoyed this episode, make sure to take a screenshot and share it in your stories, taking me at Plant You and Danielle at Healthy Girl Kitchen so that we can share the love. Thank you so, so much for listening and for your patience as I get back into the swing of things. I always love your suggestions, so please DM me on Instagram if you have any suggested guests. I love you guys. Thank you for listening, and I'll see you next week.